Jew. <laughs> Picked up and recorded loud and clear. Oh, beautiful. Now we have to edit that out. Mm. Plenty of things you need to edit out. You know? There are. Your favorite word? <laughs> yeah, but Americans frown on that word. They really do. Why would you frown on it? It gives men hours of joy. Women, too. <laughs> oh, now, we're in Kellogg country. You circumcise them. They don't need pleasure. That's true. Yeah. I like that. People are so shocked when I tell them that. And it's like, but, you know, and they're like, oh, Kellogg was, an, was a madman then. It's like, all the doctors did it. It I, wasn't just him. Hey, it's like Moshe telling people you don't want to get sand stuck in your dicky things or cut it off. We're traveling across the desert. We referring to circumcision. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. Genital mutilation. Yeah. But you can call it what you like. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> I guess we should just go ahead and... This is a, a pre-recorded message. <laughs> I, I, okay. I have a funny story, and I have to try and do this as best I can. As a For guy. today's date, press one. For <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's Pierre, a friend of mine who, who, who used to live in France. He always said when you called him, it was went went to his voice message. He's hello, this is Pierre. I'm busy. Leave a message. <laughs> That's it. Like oh fuck's sake. Ah, that was always good. Listening to him. Beef, right? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Beef. Beef. <laughs> I do not care for this. How do you call it? Crowd surfing. Uh, such a. What is it? No. Um. Oh damn it. Uh, you botched Such, your own joke? Oh, I my did. God. Oh, I can't remember. It's not my joke. It was John Oliver that did it. It's okay. like, uh, I do not care for this. How do you call crowd surfing? Such a such a class maneuver shows a... Such a class maneuver displays a poverty of intimacy, no? Mm. Mm. Biff. And yeah, he throw, throws a cigarette butt away. Such a class display. <laughs> See, everybody in France is now going... Going to post on this, you're being derogatory to the French. They're going to come and come and kill us. When have the Americans ever cared about what the French thought? Oh, I don't know. They Just helped gonna... you win your revolution. That's true. Oh. And you stabbed them in the back. Yeah, but, Here we yeah go. but that regime that helped us win the revolution, the they promptly that, overthrew. The death yeah, that never goes see, away. Huh? That's this French argument, the death that never goes away. Yes, yeah, because you never repaid I believe it. we've repaid them several times over. Twice, in fact. Yes, uh, but, by showing up late to World War One. But but I, no, I I have, I have the same argument though. <laughs> I have the same argument that uh, John Adams did, and and actually no, that General that George, George Washington, Washington did. Me, George Washington <laughs> did, which was um, when the French Revolution happened and they got in a war with Britain. The French came to us and said, "Well, you know, you signed a treaty with us saying you'd help us if we ever got into war with Britain." And George Washington looked at him and said. Uh, technically, the treaty we made was with King Louis, Louis, who you, who you decapitated. Yes, and which, so, uh, which, as Madison pointed out, renders that compact void. <laughs> That's right, <laughs> null and void. Um, the regime we made the deal with is no longer there. So how? And uh, I do have to say, I mean, how would you expect? What would you expect uh, if you d- destroyed your old regime and then went to an ally of that old regime? And then said, we expect you to be an ally with us against this war that we started because you made an agreement with the regime that we just overthrew. Because the treaty was not signed with France. It was signed with Louis. Because Louis was, he was France. France. Yes. Uh, what's the French term that Louis Fourteenth came up with? Um, je, je suis le stat? Yeah. Je suis I, am the state. State. I, am, I am the state, yeah. Say it again. Je suis le stat. I am the state. 
That was Louis the Fourteenth. Of course, the treaty that we were referring to is made with Louis the Sixteenth. Sixteenth or fifteenth? Sixteenth. He got his head cut off. Yeah. He was the pudgy one <laughs> with his frumpy wife. Ah, uh, Marie Antoinette. Which wasn't who who wasn't actually the an, the ancestor Pelosi. Yes. 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 Of course. <laughs> now she wasn't that frumpy, and she also was not stupid. Just kind of clarifying that. that uh, I agree. There. She was a Habsburg. Just wrong time, wrong place. Was she a Habsburg? Yeah. She was the sister of uh, Emperor Joseph II, I want to say. She was an inbred Habsburg. They were there all inbred. There is no other yeah, I was going to say, there is no, there is no <laughs> other Habsburgs but the inbred ones. Yes, the big chin, you know. Well, they did have, they did have the House of Lorraine come in there because the original Habsburg line was kind of bred out because of all the Too many inbreeding. Cousins. Yes. And so the House of Lorraine married into them and that kind of gave them a fresh new genetic stock. Yes, at, so least, one, at least one branch to the family tree. Yeah. So we should probably get this thing started, eh? Yes. Proceed, sir. Welcome, everyone, back to our podcast. A Jew, a Christian, and an atheist walk into a bar. For you, it is July 19, 2020, but this is a pre-recorded podcast because of scheduling conflicts. We're going to have two of these to replace the Sundays that we can't get together uh, here in July. So some of us are going on vacation, and I imagine that some of us are continuing reading our uh, comp fields. Yes, some of us don't have your level of privilege. (laughs) <laughs> my level of privilege is going to a house north of Orlando and basically staying there because I have a feeling that by the time I get there on the 19th, Florida is going to be shut down again and we can't do anything. Fortunately, my aunt has a swimming pool. so it's Might like, have to stay there for a couple of months. I got no problem with that. Um, I can teach online, yeah. You so, may get quarantined. I technically it. can't be because I've already had COVID and I got over it. You'll get the second strain. If there's a second strain, we're all screwed. The Florida strain. The Florida strain. Uh. <laughs> the dreaded Florida strain. One so of those so if everything's bigger in Texas, does that mean everything's crazier in Florida? You watch the news, right? Yes. You've seen, you've seen Florida in the news. Mm-hmm. Yes. I love Florida. I really do. I, I actually do want to teach there. What's not to love about retired people? It's not just that. The tropical climate, I love the color. Like, they have oleanders and azaleas down there. The color of flowers is just amazing. I can... And you know what? It's always a color argument with you, just, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I, but I love, I love the tropical climate. I love the mix of people. I love the atmosphere. I mean, my aunt is Cuban, and I just love spending time oh, with her. Oh, you have a Cuban auntie? Mm-hmm. So yeah. she's Cuban, was born in Brooklyn, I want to say. Brooklyn? Yeah. Don't... New York City, but I believe Brooklyn to be more specific. So she speaks Spanish with a Brooklyn accent. It is amazing. <laughs> and uh, just a real quick story here. I remember um, I was always told the story when she started dating my uncle, Uncle Terry. Her name's Magali. Um, they were going. They went to a Yankees game or something like that. And on the way back, a man tried to mug my uncle Terry. Now my uncle Terry was in the pro- with a knife. 
My Uncle Terry was in the process of pulling out his wallet to give to the guy, and my Aunt Magali, who has, was like, you know, not in my effing city, grabbed the guy's knife, punched him in the face, and took his knife away from him, and basically said, you want some of this? And I'm like... Guy ran away. I love it. This knife is mine <laughs> this, now. This woman is like five foot something. This, you know, the same height as Leslie. It's like, so she, mm-hmm. so so she stole the man's knife. She should have taken his wallet at the same time. You know, <laughs> I mean, come on. Would have been irony. Would have been beautiful. But if he had a wallet, why would he steal other people's wallets? Greed. Oh, <laughs> shall the, we shall we debate upon why people the, steal things? The greed card. Okay. Okay. So no, that's uh. But no, I enjoy. Spending time with them, I love my family, and uh, I'm, I love all my cousins, but I'm probably closest to my cousin Mikey. That's Magali's son, and um, he, he and I are a lot alike. Uh, we both we both married Mexican wives, um, so and him and I have both the same temperament. It seems, uh, but my mother is nothing like Magali. <laughs> so, a, te- a temperament for Mexican wives. Well, my mother would have, well, my mother's a little bit like Magali and respects that if a guy did pull a knife on her, she probably wouldn't try to grab the knife and punch the guy. If a guy had pulled a knife on my mom, she would have pulled out her gun and shot him. Um, you know. She's, an, and she's a more independent woman. Yeah, when she was in college, she had a, uh, I want to say it was a Sterling 380. That was a sweet little gun. Uh, she still has it. It needs to be repaired, though. So that's where. What's wrong with it? Uh, it jams and it's got an issue with the safety. So it's a gun. What do you need a safety for? That's right. Um, it's got some issues. I, I'm not quite sure everything that's wrong with it. Tell her to get a small AK. Well, she needs something. She doesn't have since she got her shoulder replaced because you know her shoulder got obliterated in that wreck she was in. She had to have a shoulder replacement. She had trouble before. She didn't have a lot of strength in her hands, but now it's even worse. She needs a gun where she can easily pull back the slide. And I'm thinking she probably just needs to get a revolver. So She, she needs have a, a revolver yeah. because that's a lot of these, like we were talking about the Kimber Micro 9. Mm-hmm. That's the reason there's so many of them out there. Everybody saw, oh, great, that's for the spouse. That slide pull is pretty mm-hmm. hard, isn't it? So yeah. I want... Maybe I'll. Okay, so I have a revolt. I got a thirty-eight special. Have you seen that? Mm-mm. I'm going to show it to you after the show. I have a thirty-eight special I inherited from my huh. Just edit that out. Oh no, people need to know I'm armed. Uh, uh, I have a thirty-eight special I inherited from my grandfather, and um, that was a that's a very nice little gun. My mom wants it really bad. What year is it? Do you know? It's older because he got it back when he was... Uh, that He would have gotten that, I think, back in the 70s, possibly. And it may be older than that. I'm not sure. You can look at it and, and give me your opinion. It's very nice. I don't think he... I'm sure he shot it, Who's but... Who's the manufacturer? I can't remember. It's not Smith & Wesson. Colt or... It's not Colt. It's something else. I'd, I'd have to pull it out. Because I know Colt, Smith & Wesson, you can just take the serial number. I could yeah. probably look up the serial number on this one. I just haven't done it yeah. yet. But... Um, but she, I think she want, really wants that gun, but I'm like, I need one in trade. I, I really want one of those Kimber Micro 9s that you have. She needs a uh, Smith & Wesson 642. Mm. Slight, snub nose. Mm-hmm. She's, got, she's got my uncle's old gun, which was a Taurus full frame where you can switch out the barrels for a 45 or a 9mm. It's a nice gun. Yeah. Uh, it's it's styled after the Beretta has the top e- top ejection. Mm-hmm. Um, she can't pull that damn slide back. 
So she's so what I had to do was put one in the chamber for her, and it's got a the double action trigger, so that if somebody if somebody does try to break into the house or something, she can just you know pull out that gun and start off start off shooting them. Uh, but that gun is way too big for yeah. her. Um, the reason also that I want uh, a nine millimeter now in my collection is because I have hollow point bullets for a nine millimeter that are silver bullets to kill werewolves with. Yes. I don't know where we got them from. I didn't even know that they made silver bullets. These are Winchester. Silver hollow point bullets. I'm like, these are the things that you, you, you put one in there to test fire to see how it feels like, and then you don't use them except for actual self-defense because I'm, I'm pretty certain they don't make these anymore. Uh, but they are something to look at. still have the box? Yeah, at my mom's house. But I, that's why I know they're Winchester. Yes, there are no more werewolves. No more need for those. We bullets. hunted them all into extinction. Yes. So we kind of got off topic talking about our guns and collections and stuff like that. There's but, men and their guns. Right. Uh, yes, there's there's a Freudian thing to be said here. Mm-hmm. Uh, fiddle with, around with them. Anyways, so we talked about earlier on about t- answering some topical questions that our listeners had. And we mm-hmm. had uh, one, one listener uh, ask, send us a question via the email account. So... I should probably plug in. I keep forgetting to do this every stupid time. If you'd like to contact us and ask us questions about history and uh, give us topics that you'd like to hear us talk about, again, this is one of the only podcasts I know of where you can ask questions of three uh, historians, doctorates in history, and not have to pay tuition. It's a beautiful thing. But if you'd like to contact us, you can contact us via email at jca walk into a bar at gmail.com and we're on facebook and twitter at jca walk into a bar there that is out of the way now so one of the questions we had come in was somebody i think i'd mentioned that i'm teaching the history of western civilization this coming semester mm-hmm. in one of the shows yep. i think i may have mentioned it. i don't remember you did you mentioned it to us at least couple yeah. of episodes ago that you mentioned Well, and that. this person is a friend of mine outside of the episode, too. We talk a little bit, and I think I may have mentioned it to him either way. Anyways, but he wanted to know specifically the difference between the history of Western civilization and what they're calling world history now, and more specifically why I think Western, or what, what our opinion is about why, is Western history still viable, and is, West, is Western civilization is Western civilization as a topic, as a history course, still viable, and should it still be taught? Or should we just move on to world history? And so there's a lot of background into why world history came about and, and why we've kind of moved to that even. And what does Western Civ still have left to offer? Does anyone like to start out on this? I, I have my own opinions because I'm teaching it this semester, but um, is, I guess we should first start off, you know, what is Western civilization as far as a history course and what is world history and why do the two differ? Yeah, distinction. Yeah, so mm-hmm. who wants to take that one on? Well, let's do Robert. No, go ahead. Oh, giving it, giving me the easy, Throw. the easy question. Throwing you under you? the bus, ah, yeah. Okay. Uh, softball. That's, that's, yeah, I mean, I don't, don't, don't worry, <laughs> I have some good questions lined up for both of you. Um, really test your moral fortitude. But, no, I think... If you look at history and define it as Western civilization, that usually entails only looking at Western civilization. I mean, the history of Europe and the influences that Europe had mostly in the places that it colonized. And if you look at world history, this is, I think, 
almost a counter argument to Western, well, Western Civ, or looking at you know what Europe did to the rest of the world instead of looking removing Europe from the limelight and looking at the world, looking at the other places that Europe went to. I grant you, but focusing on them and less so on on Europe. So I think they're almost, I would say, in academia. Two parts of the same coin. One is an answer to to the other. I mean, the world history that we're talking about came out of this uh, answer: as is there something else that we can teach except Western Civ? I think that that's kind of a half decent ex- explanation that I can come up of up with right off the bat. And if you have any any different opinions, I mean, please, I'd be welcome to well, welcome to hear them. Well, I know that there was there's a movement in present day, especially in America to replace Western civilization as part of an ideological movement. Mm. It's ideological. They want to erase that Euro, the, you constantly hear in academia Eurocentric model. Or European ex, uh, exceptionalism. Yep. But I would... So in Western Civ, traditionally, if you take... So the second half of Western Civ is like traditionally from 1500 to present. But the first half of Western Civ starts with Mesopotamia most times, right? Uh, the cultures of Sumer, mm-hmm. uh, the culture of Ur, uh, Ur, Sumeria, Babylon, the Assyrians, all that. It starts there, and then it goes into the ancient cultures of Greece and Rome. And so Western Civ, as far as... They're not... Okay, how should I put this? They're not entirely wrong, but they're not entirely correct either. Yeah. When they, uh, as far as their criticisms, Western Civ. If you look at the history of where of the history of the history, right? Mm-hmm. Historiography. If you look at how it was invented, Western civilization was invented almost right after the profession of histo- of historians was invented. So the first history PhD was in Germany in the 1880s, I want to say. And then it migrated to America. University of Chicago had mm-hmm. the first history. I want to say University of Chicago had it. Late 19th century. Late, yeah, late 1890s the or something like that. first doctorate, at least. In, yeah, in so history as a profession actually is quite a young profession. Uh, now, you do have the ancient historians like Herodotus and things like that, but the history doctorate as we know it today, as far as how it's done and writing history and things like that, came about in the 1880s. So Western civilization actually came about not long after the history PhD kind of came on the scene. And it was used to validate the imperial culture within the different nations. Because the idea was is that the Western world, which is, as you pointed out, Erhard, the history of Europe and its interactions with the world... The Western world descends from these great ancient empires. We have a great ancient foundation, and therefore the greatness of our empires is already well established in history because we have built upon what these other people built before us. Ergo, we are in the right when we want to colonize Africa. Because it came about at the same time as the scramble for Africa. Oh, the great scramble mm-hmm. for Africa. I mean, and, and, and How convenient. You, it, yeah, I mean, really, really convenient. And if you look at it, the two major societies which are always glorified are Greece and Rome. Yes. Uh, Greece, not necessarily the greatest you know, colonial empire, although it did, did have colonies of its own, but really Rome as this great, nearly ancient globe-spanning empire, or at least the globe as, as the ancient mm-hmm. people of, of Europe understood it. And if you read Western civilization textbooks, 
it will it, what they in- invariably try to do is trace American democracy all the way back to Roman Republican government and Greek de- democratic government. Could I, I, I want to add ahead. something to that. Go look at the monuments in Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. All neoclassical. Yep. Well, the, the yeah, the Lincoln Memorial is my favorite because that's just a copy of the Temple of Zeus, basically. Yes. Just a little bit wider than a regular Grecian temple, but. Uh, Lincoln sitting on his throne in that place is definitely modeled after Zeus, Zeus on, his, on throne, his throne, which I mean, no longer exists. But. And 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 this makes perfect sense because if you which doesn't exist, Zeus, Zeus. or the Lincoln Memorial, the Zeus. Just saying, well, this cause... is pre-recorded by the nineteenth. They may have hit it by yeah, now. I don't may know. Have, may, may have pulled. They are down... trying to get rid of the Lincoln statue for the Emancipation Memorial. But... Might have pulled down Lincoln from his throne. You know, that statue um, is so huge it would. Uh, and it's being well protected. Well, if it falls on someone, it would be really interesting. Yeah, it would be very hard to even try to destroy that statue in the Lincoln Memorial. Yeah, they still defacing. Stuff. But I mean, I mean, oh yeah, it's been spray painted before, mm-hmm. if I recall. I mean, to answer your Anyways, your, yeah. your question about you know this classical ideology of Greece and Rome, I mean, Greece was mentioned, but extensively, Rome was mentioned by mm-hmm. the founding fathers in their mm-hmm. personal correspondences. Uh, Jefferson, Adams, Washington, all of the people who, who really were involved in, in the shaping of the Declaration of Independence and then later generation of the Constitution referred back to the great Roman Republic and its virtues and the people who extolled the Roman virtues. And I think that's why you see within the American context that you know Rome and the Roman Republicanism is so heavily referenced and that, I think, translated into the historical narrative by claiming this near direct descent of the greatest empire on earth rome america is simply a a, a step not not a step well almost a grandchild of the great empire yeah we were built on roman foundations that, yes built built yeah. well the, the roman Very foundations so. which which the the british empire was built upon and the american mm. d- descended from from them and and i always like so and I always like asking questions. So does that mean eventually we're going to be taken over by a dictator and then have a long line of Caesars? Ooh, Just saying, because that's food how, for thought. Food for thought, because uh, that's where Rome ended up. But uh, th- yeah, that's you're you're absolutely correct because that's where the ideology of republicanism came yes. from. The idea that there's virtues yes. in a republican government that, w- and that's why we didn't go for parliamentary system because we wanted to model ourselves on or a Greek democracy or a Greek democracy. We chose republicanism, which is Roman. Yes, pe- a lot of people don't understand that difference, and, th- and that's because they don't get taught government a lot of times now in, no. in high school. A lot of students don't understand the difference. We're not a democracy. Democracy is where everybody in the nation has one vote and we vote on things. So every law you wanted to pass in the nation, everybody in the nation would have to Folks vote on it. Everybody would have direct input. Exactly. Yes. We are a Republican, which means we have representatives that represent the will of the people in a Congress. Yes. That is a Roman form of government. Yes. But it's not even purely Roman because we know how the Romans really worked. Uh, the Roman did not have... The Romans had... So the Roman... They the didn't really oligarchs have, ruled... Well, they didn't really have two houses. They had the Senate, but they also had the, the tribunes, they had two the people's houses. tribunes, which was kind of like the lower, if you will, but they were members of the Senate. Yes. They were just people's tribune. Uh, Mark Anthony was very famously people's tribune, and the tribune, who was the representative of the people, could veto any motion made by the consul or the Senate. Quite interesting how Roman government works. But so, And we can get into that probably another time if mm-hmm. viewers want to hear about Roman government. Because so, so, anyways, with Western civilization, we have this 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 nice little story about how America and the other 
other uh, imperial nations were all built upon this foundation of the ancient Roman Empire and even before that. That's really the story of, of kind of Western civilization, if you will. Mm-hmm. And in recent years, I'd say in the last 20 years, there has been a movement to move, to detach ourselves from what, what was called, and I'm, I'm quoting other people here, a history of patriarchy and hierarchical oppression. And they tie that in with Western civilization because, and, and a lot of people say, well, Western civ is a myth, right? It was this myth that was designed to build nations and empires upon. And now that we're past the age of empires, quote unquote, now that we're past the age of colonialism, again, quote unquote, uh, we need to have a new history that embraces the idea of globalism and tolerance and things like that. And so world history came about. And world history, I don't know any other way of saying it, world history is basically kind of, again, Western Civ, but with Europe removed. So we focus a lot on the Asian countries, Japan, China. We focus on India. We focus really on themes of colonization interaction. And and I think yeah. to make a point... Yeah, where where is the center of the narrative? It does yep. it does re, re recenter the 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 viewpoint away from Europe and looking at world history. For instance, a, a criticism that I can make of Western Civ is that there's no real handling in traditional Western Civ of, you know, Africa, mm-hmm. besides its colonization. Yeah. Or of the New World, the Americas, besides its colonization. There's no mention of the great Indian societies of China, for instance, a massive empire that dwarfed anything existing in the medieval period in Europe. Or the Mongol Empire, for that matter. The Mongol Empire. Mongol was the largest empire in the world, wasn't it? Yeah. Largest land-spanning empire in in the world. And I think, I mean, world history refocuses the lens away from focusing on Europe instead of focusing on other places within world history, focusing on Africa and Africa's perspective during, you know, world history. And I think world history attempts to organize kind of this idea that each continent has its own unique history and how these continents interact with each other is this idea of world history, global history. Yeah. And I and I want to clarify my position here. I have no problem with world history. If they asked me to teach world history, I would teach it. I, I, I the, enjoy it personally. It's a lot yeah. of fun to no, teach, I like, actually. Yeah. When you can teach about India and, and, mm-hmm. and China, Japan, things that students usually are not exposed to, I, I like that. Or because the dawn all, of humanity. Yeah. So... My criticism is when people try to take that and apply and use it towards their own ideological ends to try and say, well, you know, every, we, we're teaching world history because of the we're trying to fight back against, quote unquote, the hierarchy, the oppression and victimization of people. We're teaching world history to uh, to fight back against the, the male patriarchy that has dominated Western civilization, yada, yada. It's like, okay, if the male patriarchy dominated Western civilization, what do you do if Isabel of Spain and Queen Elizabeth I and Mary Tudor of England, what do you do mm-hmm. if all these women that ruled in Western... True, they, they, they had to rule in their own different ways, but go back and look at Catherine de' Medici, who ruled France, and tell me that she didn't have control over things. She did the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre, where she killed all the Huguenots. What was it, 50,000 Huguenots she slaughtered on that day? Yes. Um, mm-hmm. So don't tell me that women didn't have a place in Western Civ, but that's, but that's so this is, this is the ideological argument, though, is people are trying to co-opt, I think, world history to be something, 
to be activist history, to to use it for their own purposes and causes. Whereas I'm like, world history should be used to further. You're laughing here. You have a comment. A comment best left unsaid. Okay. On this podcast. That, that's fair. Just cut that piece out. No, no, that's. It's left in. Okay. It's okay. Just like it. You didn't say it, so that's all right. Just like transatlantic history is actually a history of the oppressed. The oh, oppression Olympics? Man. Is that the direction we're going with this? Yes. <laughs> the oppression of what? The oppression Olympics. Olympics. There you go. Who can be more oppressed? Who can be more oppressed? Anyways, we digress, mm-hmm. which we so often do on this show. Um, so you know, with world history, I think it does... It does accomplish in my opinion if it's taught correctly I should preface that with if it's taught correctly world history has the ability to enact those goals of tolerance understanding other cultures understanding where they're maybe coming from because I'd say that like after 9-11 happened one of the biggest issues that America had was America had no idea who had no idea who they were dealing with when they dealt with uh, the Muslims in the Middle East and I'm not talking about the, the politicians or the military leaders. I'm talking about the common Americans had no idea about the backstory of, of the Muslims of the Middle East, where they were coming from. I'm not trying to say that with 9-11, I'm not trying to say that anything was justified. I'm just saying when we went into a war with them, we didn't quite know what we were getting into well, the common from, Ameri- the, from the people's perspective. The military knew exactly what they were getting into, as did the Hence politicians. a republic. Huh? Hence a republic. Hence a republic. <laughs> I, I understand, yeah. Uh, it's hard to read you with those sunglasses on, man. Can't tell if I'm pissing I you get, off or... No. I love it, though. Again, it's like talk. It's like... You're just like, peace out here, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm, 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 I'm waiting for you to bring out your, your guitar and your stogie. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm, I'm waiting for the smell of skunk to be yes. in there. A, yes. uh, a little song I saved just for this podcast. <laughs> yes. Negative. <laughs> Brought his um, banjo, did he? Right. But, but, so, and maybe that was a poor example, but let's, even with China, let's do the history of China, right? We, so people, there are people out there like, say, Danny Haifong, who's on the Jimmy Dore show a lot, who praises China. There are people, Endlessly. and and really it's like, Maybe we should take the opportunity to learn the history of China and learn about their culture, their thinking, what, you know. So world history, in my opinion, does very much so have its place. But I think it's ridiculous to try to teach world history in only two semesters. No, it's simply impossible to try and compress all of, well, as I would look at world history, the history of humanity Mm -hmm. Into two semesters because there simply is too much, and that is even if you're just focusing on the major continents. Mm-hmm. Well, in the second half of world history, it's from 1500 to present, so it's like the history of humanity from 1500 to present. I was like, so that means that the first half is the history of humanity to 1500, which is like what 10,000 years of history in one semester, or like a hundred thousand years, or a hundred thousand. Think about of it, we said in debate because American history is two semesters. And we, so little. we debate about it's we don't get to cover enough of this and that, mm-hmm. and then take the whole world and do that in two. Sm- mm-hmm. Yeah, no. I mean the question is where where does world history begin? Mm. Is there an actual date set in stone where we can go back to and say this was the year in which world history began? Well, history is defined as you know written history and oral memory of that history. So if I was to do it, I would start off traditionally where you would start probably with uh, even Western civilization, which is I would start with the three major civilization groups that we have record of. 
which would be the Egyptians on the Nile, the Indus Valley civilization there in India, and then the civilizations that developed around, is it the Yangtze River? Yes. In China? Yes. I would say kind of the, yeah, the, the Middle East, Egypt, um, the, the, the Levant. Yeah. Now, I know that there were civilizations in Africa, and Egypt is in Africa. Yeah, so. Egypt is in Africa, yes. But there are those civilizations that we really don't have memory of in Africa. We have some archaeological evidence, yes. but we don't really know what they were called or anything like that because there's a lack of written sources, even with monuments. Yes. Um, but, you know, I'm sure that the archaeological evidence suggests that there were incredibly early civilizations in Africa yes. that we don't even begin to know about. Uh, but as far as like written, the stuff we have the texts for, mainly Egypt, Yangtze River, and the Indus Valley region. Yes. That's where I would start it. Because historians, we do rely somewhat on archaeology and uh, anthropology to some extent with these earlier civilizations. But again, you can only go back so far. And these students, you're trying to cram this all. 16 weeks sounds like a long time. Mm -hmm. But in the concept of like 10,000 years of human history, Quite it ain't nothing. Yes, quick it's a minute. Drop a drop in the bucket. Yeah, and you either ha you're on a Monday, Wednesday, Friday schedule where it's 50 minutes for three days a week, or a Tuesday, Thursday, Thursday. where it's 80 minutes for two days a week. It, it amounts to the same amount of time either way. A lack and, of time, you mean? Yeah, a lack of time. And it, so, so the the other question that the student has, so that's I guess that would be the gist of world history and Western Civ. The differences between the two. Why some people think we need to go to world history now? In our department, we teach both. And I think, and so the question is, and I think this is an important question that my friend asked, and I think it's a very important question for for myself because I am teaching Western Civ. Is how does Western civilization differ from world history, and how are you going to teach it? And that's something that I've been trying to come up with. I've redesigned this class now three times, and now that it's going to be taught online, uh, I have to redesign it a fourth time. But I'm just going to tell mm. you all what I came up with, and I'd like your feedback on it. And so maybe um, I was kind of looking at it, and whether you like it or not, and whether you disagree with it or not, Western civilization developed through its mass movements and its ideolo ideologies that it developed. Western civilization, the ideologies that came out of it, are the ideologies that are ruling the world right now. Go to any country... Their form of government, their form of the the their their economic system, everything has, and you can say that that was forced on them by colonization, whatever. That's fine, but the Merlin, ideologies. You said the key word, the world. Yeah. So. So so these are these are major concepts and themes that came out of Western civilization, meaning Europe. Europe-centered and America and, and the colonies, their interactions with their colonies, these things came out of what we would traditionally call Western civilization. So my thought was world history is handling the interactions of all these different cultures and their own backstories. So the question is, what does Western Civ have to offer? And so my idea was I will teach Western Civ via an examination of the mass movements and the ideologies that came out of Western civs. So, for example, if you're starting back close to the 1500s, uh, one mass movement would be the Reformation in Europe. And what came out of the Reformation? Protestantism. What came out of Protestantism? The idea of lifting yourself up through your work, your labor, things like that. And so you can, you can tie some threads 
of modern-day capitalism to the Protestant Reformation. I'm, and, I, and I don't have a lot of time to go into that here, but there's a reason why the Dutch, who were some of the first capitalists, as we would consider them, capitalists in the world, there's a reason why the Dutch were Protestant. Yes. And the reason why they were the, I won't say inventors of capitalism, but they certainly were the developers of it, yeah. developing the idea of, of using capital in an economic system to gain for more capital. And it's not a coincidence that they were all Protestant when this happened. And you, you, Erhard, you're descended from the Dutch, so you can always... I can, I can speak on this point, yes, yeah. with, my, with my, my, my historical Dutchness. I mean, <laughs> looking, looking at Dutch Dutchness. history, you can, you can make a very strong argument that socially and culturally the Dutch people have this drive that lends itself towards something called the Protestant work ethic. Yes, thank where you. Where you, 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 you glorify God through your work, and diligent work on, on, on earth so that you can be rewarded in heaven later on, um, which is an antithesis to the medieval Catholic belief that um, you only labor in the current world to live, but your true reward is in the afterlife. And you, you have to work more to have a good reward in the afterlife than in, 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 in the current <clears throat> world, the, the sinful world, as it was preached at that time. Always I mean, about the future and not the present. Yes, it, it, yes, it, yeah. there is this preoccupation with what comes next instead yep. of what is now. Yep. And if you look at the Dutch, culturally, medievally, the Netherlands are not particularly wealthy. It's not a rich area. So people in those areas have always been under colossal pressure to go out and seek economic opportunities elsewhere. Um, the Dutch were the cornerstone of the wool industry between France and England within the medieval period where they made massive amounts of money by buying wool from England then weaving these strands into usable wool and cloth and material and selling it to the rest of Europe and even back back to England. And the Dutch were the first people to start joint stock companies mm -hmm. where people as a group would buy a ship, everybody would donate so much money, buy stock in this company, mm -hmm. they would distribute the risk of that ship sinking but they would also distribute the wealth gained from a profitable trade venture. Yeah, um, that's where the maritime empire was so what was so advanced was kind of the cornerstone of their economic system. They're also the first people to invent what we would call today the modern banking system. Yeah. So, and that and that's why I wanted to kind of focus on the Dutch because they're a really good example and talk about that Protestant work ethic that with the joint stock companies, the joint with the joint stock companies that wasn't limited as far as buying stock in the company, that wasn't limited to the nobility or others like that. The The fishmonger in the street could take whatever hard-earned savings he had and put it in the stock company and thus lift himself out of po poverty. Yes. And and become middle class. As, you, as you've pointed out several times there, Hard, uh, the Netherlands, everybody talks about how happy the, the people, the Dutch are, and how they seem to have this really nice society. It's because their society is almost entirely made up of the middle class. I mean, I think by... by, by a reasonable matrix. You can make the argument that the Dutch throughout their history were predominantly made up of the middle class. Mm -hmm. Granted, they did have royals and nobles. Still of, do. Of, of, yes, well... They, queen of the Netherlands, right? Isn't The Queen, queen of the Netherlands, yes. No, I can't remember her name. Um, I, I've also forgotten her, her name. Um, but she... Forgive she, us, Your Majesty. She, she <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, um, fra, 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 he, 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 he,
asking your your pardon. Uh, es tut mir leid, yeah, mm-hmm. from the German. Yes, the, the, the poor German peasants that the Dutch hired to do all the work the Dutch people didn't want to do. That is correct. And the Polish people Are throughout the medieval that the, period. Are you saying that the Germans were to the Dutch what the Mexicans were to the Americans? Yes. Okay. Means throughout Just the, clarifying. Throughout the medieval period and the early modern period, you always see that you know they hired German laborers to do the majority of the work in the fields that the Dutch people simply did not want to do. Fair. Because they could afford to do it. And the Germans were kept pretty poor by some of their princes. By, by their princes. So they had no other options than to go work for the Dutch to get money. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think there's a very strong argument to make that the Dutch have historically been predominantly made up of the mm. middle class, where majority of people do have a high standard of living based on the, I, I would say, a society and a culture based on commerce, trading goods, buying well, buying raw materials, working them to finish products, reselling them, building trading ships, trading, money lending, the banking system that they developed where they could lend money to institutions, to royalty, and then gain interest back from, from that. Because those were the limited resources that they had to, at their disposal. And and you made a key point there, which was, so we would call that basically a modern capitalist system. I mean, value-adding, yeah. banking yeah. systems, um, joint, stock joint stock companies. And, and you made a point that this was a new way of thinking, the Protestant work ethic, because in the old the old. Catholic European way of thinking was that you, how did you put it? Uh, I mean, you, you're focused on, on the future and not on the now. Yeah. Because your reward will be in heaven, not on, on the earth. And that's the Protestant way of thinking? That is yeah. the Catholic way. Catholic that's the way, way. That's Catholic way. Yeah. Granted, I mean, I'm not saying Catholics think the same way today. This is, yeah. this is based on the medieval teachings of the Catholic Church, where your reward would be in heaven, and your work on earth was only to get you to heaven. Exactly. Whereas the Protestant work ethic was the opposite. So your you, work on earth yeah. afforded you a position in well, heaven. Dutch understood, too, that as a society, if I give somebody the opportunity to change their station, everybody benefits from it. Yes. but that, So that's part of that Protestant movement, though, and that's why I can tie in the Protestant Reformation gave rise to this capitalism on the part of the Dutch yes. because of that change in understanding. I mean, I think and and that the English a, as well, because the English followed the Dutch model very quickly afterwards. I, I would say the English did follow a very similar model. Um, I mean, I think that there's enough ground to make these arguments. Now, these things are not set in stone. This is exactly how it happened. But I think there's a good enough mm-hmm. argument to make a very sound position of what we're trying to explain here. So that's what I'm talking about. So that's just one example yeah. of, of the way I would like to teach Western civilization, which is teaching it via these histories of these mass movements like Protestant Reformation, all the way up to, say, the eugenic movement as a movement, and then also the great ideologies. And I say mm. great not as in I approve of them, but as in that they were these large ways of thinking, ideological uh, beliefs that came out of Western civilization, and I just... You know, example, capitalism is one of them, but also communism came out of Western civilization. Socialism. Socialism, fascism, uh, globalism, uh, all the isms. Yeah, all the isms. So for our listeners, if you have a word that has an ism on the end of it, it's most likely an ideology. Except for Confucianism. Yeah. So with ideologies, um, and we can talk about ideologies in another episode because that's another subject in itself. But these concepts of way of thinking, way of believing, if you will, the doctrine of these ideologies, because an ideology and doctrine to me are interchangeable words, uh, which I I truly believe they are. But 
that's how I think. That's why. I th- that's the way I think Western Civ needs to be taught, if it's going to remain viable. Because if it's just if it because if world history is being is being used to replace Western Civ because Western Civ is too Eurocentric or something like that, okay, then we need to change the way we because if world history is going to handle all this stuff about the interaction in individual histories of the different continents and countries and cultures, and Western Civ is being torn down because well it represents the male patriarchy things like that. I was like okay then let's change the way we teach Western Civ instead of it being like this happened then this happened then this happened, let's teach it in a way where we focus on the ideas that came. And some people will say, well, that's intellectual history, right? Uh, the history of ideas. It's like, but it's, I, I'm, I'm using the ideas of Western civilization in the context of what's, of what's happening in more of a survey course. This happened, then this happened. But while we're at, but in the middle of telling you this happened, then this happened, we're going to discuss these big main ideas that came out of it. Because there are people today, and it, drives me nuts every time. It drives me nuts that Americans in general, not all of them, but in general, most Americans do not distinguish between socialism and communism. And there is a vast difference between those two. And people just don't, and they assume it's the same thing. Uh, I know, I have met people who think that communism and fascism are the same thing. Very that if you're a communist, you're a fascist. And I was like, okay, first of all... Uh, <laughs> Uh, look, you you like to quote Nazi Germany at me all the time. It's like, uh, who were the Nazis against? The communists. Arch enemies. They were arch enemies. Yep. But yet, I've met people who who don't distinguish between those two groups, those two those two ideologies. I said they were completely different in the way they viewed things. Um, there's a difference between how Americans think about socialism and the way that socialism was conceived in Germany when it originally came about. Uh, and those are things that, that people don't understand. And so that's why I'm kind of wanting, I said, okay, if Western Civ is still going to be taught and to me be viable to today's world, then we need, I think we need to teach it in a way where we explain these major ideas and ideologies that people don't understand anymore because people are going out there and running off their mouth. Oh, that's communism or that's, so, I'm a socialist, right? It's like, do you even know what you're saying but when I mean, you say that? In the context of both Western Civ and mm. um world history, why should we care about these big ideas, these big isms? Because they're in control of the world right now. Communism is in China. Uh, democracy or, or republicanism or capitalism is in America and, and various other parts of the world. Uh, socialism pops up in other parts. Fascism still exists in many parts of the world. So oh, these yes. ideas that came out of Western civilization still impact the world today and the mass movements. I mean, you, you, you have my point exact. And, and I think this is a part where you can argue that Western civ is very important to understanding world history. Because the Western civilization is the single, I would say if you can call it a, 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 a philosophy, um, that had the largest impact across the globe. If you look at the modern global economic system, it is based on the old imperialistic capitalist system that was built with colonies, with Europeans colonizing other places in the world and then incorporating those areas either willing or unwilling Mm -hmm. into a global economic system that has not changed fundamentally since, I would say, 1900. And that's the argument that a lot of people have against Western civilization is that it was forced upon people through colonization and imperialism 
and that and, and their argument and I and I consider this to be a, a fallacy their argument is is that since these systems were forced on these people we have to we need to abandon teaching about them because they were in their eyes illegitimate uh, illegitimate we have uh, found the oppressed systems. and the oppressor well yeah because because <laughs> to them they, this was an illegitimate system right that was forced upon these other countries by a colonial power or an imperial power and therefore by not teaching about them we we will den- quote unquote deny that imperial powers agency your favorite word right? ideological battles yeah and, and so i'm kind of like but it doesn't erase the history and it, and all that does is further our our ineptitude when it comes to these ma- major ideas and, and and you know i think that there there is enough evidence to make that argument but not in the way that it is presented my favorite example is the caribbean mm-hmm. what is the major product that you think of when the word caribbean comes up in the global economy. Coffee and sugar. Coffee and sugar. And the majority of Caribbean islands have no other product that they can sell on the global market because they were incorporated into a system where they were used by imperial powers to produce coffee and sugar. So are they dependent on the production of coffee and sugar? To a large extent, yes. Does that stop them from diversifying into other fields? Not fundamentally, no. Tourism is one of their biggest ones now. Tourism as well. If you look at Africa, for instance, on the west coast of Africa, in one of the favorite topics, the Atlantic slave trade. Many of the African empires sold slaves to the Europeans to buy guns and manufactured goods. Were they forced into selling slaves? No. They bought into the market of Supplying a product, slaves, human beings that were commodified into a product, literally, for guns and manufactured goods from Europe. Did they later become dependent on that global system? Yes, but they did buy into that global system to begin with. If you look at the later period of colonization within Africa, you see that colonies were used as resource hubs Mm. to produce goods that were oftentimes already there and sometimes crops that were introduced later on. The the sugar cane, for instance, is produced across Africa as well, imported during the height of the colonial era. And many African countries are now dependent on the production of sugar for the global market to keep their countries economically viable. They are part and parcel of that imperialistic, global, capitalistic system. That fact will not change. And all the well-wishing or all the... Complaints about agency will not change that fact. So, what's your what's your take on Western Civ? Western Civ, it's this is an ideological battle, and you you were key when you hit on it uh, about you can't deny it happened. So, why not discuss it, and why not study it? If it did happen, it happened. It's history. Yes. And that's where you run into, and you were talking earlier, It's these are simply ide- ideology battles. I don't agree with something, how something went down, therefore we shouldn't look at it or talk about it. That's wrong. That's denying knowledge. And like you said, we expand on that and learn from it. Hmm. So what do you all think, though? I, don't, just want, I'm, I guess I'm just wanting live feedback here, I guess. What do you think of my 
proposition to teach it from, say, the great ideologies and mass movements that came out of Western civilization? Do you think that's a viable option for the continuation of Western civilization as far as how it's taught? I, I do think it's very important to teach those ideologies because they were created by Western, Western civilization. I mean, capitalism, communism, socialism. Let's do the big, the big three. Mm. Um, even Christianity. And Christianity is one of the major religions within the world. Is it the only religion? No. A close second is Islam, which is a non-Western civilization religion. Are there people in, in the, what we can call the Western civilization that are Muslims? Yes, there are. Um, but I think just focusing on capitalism, socialism, and communism coming from the Western civilization, those ideologies have informed every single country across the world. We, brought, we bring up China often enough because China is a big deal. China is a communist nation. They profess to be communist. Communism is an ideology that was introduced to China by the imperial powers. It's introduced after Marx and Engels kind of wrote their communist manifesto and created that ideology. If you go back to a situation before Europeans were able to economically and militarily dominate China, the idea of communism did not exist. It did not exist. China was an imperialistic power no different than any of the imperialistic European powers at that time. Rusty, you had a point, your hand yes. up. Right. No, no, I was just pointing. Oh, okay. Just pointing towards China, that, that, that finger, you know. Um, look at India. Um, India was a vibrant multi-ethnic society as well, long before the Europeans showed up. Did they have a vibrant ec economy that thrived and produced wealth for its rulers and money and income for laborers? Yes, it did. Was it called a capitalistic system? No. Was it called a socialist system? No. Was it called a communist system? No. It was just an organically evolved economic system unique to the Indian subcontinent. When India was, of course, incorporated into the British Empire, what economic system was introduced to India, a capitalistic economic system based on the British model. It kind of harkens back to my long rant that I had about economies of scale. I mean, capitalism, socialism, and communism inform not just the economies of most of the global world, but more importantly, the political realm that you have to face when you're dealing with the majority of, of countries within the world to this very day. And that's why I thought it would be an interesting take on Western civilization, because these ideologies informed and drove a lot of the players in, in Western civilization. And so what do you do when there is no ideology, like communism didn't come about to the 18, eight, late 1800s, socialism likewise, and capitalism's earlier, obviously, but say the Re Protestant Reformation, that became an ideological standpoint, but at the beginning it was what I would consider a mass movement. And... Uh, that's why I, I include mass movements in the study of this, mm -hmm. because some of these are ideologies where it's this ideo ideological system that has been put in place, capitalism, communism, mm -hmm. socialism, fascism. And then other ones are mass movements that never really became an ideology and in some cases did, but then fell away. Eugenics is a good example. Eugenics was invented by a random guy in England and then it exploded and actually spread to the entire world. 
Uh, still, when China has had its one-child policy, so did communism. Yeah, exactly. When China had its one-child policy, that was a eugenic ideal, right? But these these mass movements don't always just stick around. Sometimes, uh, and some people, I guess, would believe in them like you would an ideology, mm-hmm. but they really weren't set in stone. Like a, we don't call it eugenicism, right? Yes. There is no ism for eugenics. It was just a mass movement that kind of sticks around every now and then. But this mass movement affected the way that the Western world started. Now it was, it was eugenics was used by other certain ideologies like racism, to enact certain reforms people wanted in racism or anti-Semitism things like that, and they used the eugenic movement as a way to inform, to uh, as a way to enact a lot of the things they wanted to do along their ideological stances, right? So the Nazis wanted to get rid of the Jews because they believed in anti-Semitism and mm. racism. And the Nazis used the eugenic movement to facilitate that. So you see what I'm saying? There is a difference between these movements and an ideology. The ideology will use the movement to enact what they want, mm-hmm. right? And, but can and the movement also use the ideology? Absolutely. They're, they can co-opt an ideology for, to enact what they want in their mass movement. And a good example of that is, I would say, let's bring this to let's bring this to present day. Without we we wanted to kind of get away from current topics, and uh, again, this is one of those pre-recorded episodes, so we don't know what will happen by July nineteen because we're recording this beforehand. But let's talk about the Black Lives Matter movement. They call it a movement. It is a, it was a movement. Start off that way, but look how it has been co-opted by those under underneath an ideological spectrum. Uh, the anti-Semites, those who believe in anti-Semitism, which is an ideology. Which astounds me that how that can be connected to Black Lives Matter. Yeah. you. But you look at how the mass movement of Black Lives Matter is being co-opted by people with ideological lenses for their own purposes. It's the same as the Nazis incorporating eugenics, the movement of eugenics, to enact their ideological beliefs. And so there are people well, now Soviets that are utilizing, yeah. And I'm not, I'm not trying to blame the Black Lives Matter people because there are genuinely peaceful Black Lives Matter protesters who genuinely want change for the Black community, and I support that. But the problem is, is that the movement can always become corrupted by those of ideological leanings who want to use that movement to their own ends, and that's a modern day example of something that people... I'm trying to do this so that people in today can kind of understand what I'm talking about. Relate it to modern times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly, because that, that's what's happening right now. In the Me Too movement as well. Yeah, they they are pulling down statues of George Washington and Thomas Jefferson spraying BLM on their Black Lives Matter, but they're also pulling down statues of abolitionists and spraying Black Lives Matter and taking down the statue of Ulysses S. Grant who fought and destroyed the Confederacy and then said, and then you know, championed along with Lincoln. The, they're talking about canceling Abraham Lincoln, who also championed abolition of slavery. They're taking down these statues and spraying Black Lives Matter on it. Well, that right there tells me that the people taking down these statues aren't really Black Lives Matter people. They're just using the Black Lives Matter movement as an excuse for their anarchy. Do they even know who those people were? No, we don't. And I got to tell you, I watched some of these statues that people were trying to turn tear down. I saw. Uh, in one instance, I saw a lot more white people trying to tear down the statue than black people. Well, I love the statue that fell on one of these people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you love bringing that up because it is it is hilarious. Move out of the way, man. It's a huge bronze statue. Yes. How did you miss it? Uh, but that's my Jefferson's point. Jefferson's Revenge. 
that's my point. You you tear down a statue of, of Abraham Lincoln meant to celebrate emancipation of slaves, and then you spray Black Lives Matter on it as if that statue did not celebrate the fact that indeed black lives do matter. That's so, the whole purpose of that statue. Now, you may not agree with the way it is represented in present day, but that's what it was intended to represent. Its intention was that. So what, what ideology would you say has Black Lives Matter been co-opted into? Uh, Anti-Semitism, mm-hmm. I think, definitely. Mm, very much. I would say those who want the segregation of the races, so racism, has co-opted this movement. Because if you look at those, uh, say, in Chaz... Uh, they've segregated the population. They have black lives. They have black black people only zones protected by white people. Uh, they have segregated gardens. Wasn't that the the Jim Crow South years ago? That's what I'm talking about. Uh, and and so it, it it's it it just amazes me that they that they've gone to this far. It's like so. Black Lives Matter, and so now you've gone to the to the idea of we need to segregate the races. Which in itself is a is is racism, the ideology of racism, uh, the belief of different races, and that some races are better than others, and or some races need to be separated. Mm-hmm. And so this is this movement, and then there's those who believe uh, those who believe in the uh, ideology of um, what would be the ideology behind anarchy, or is anarchy itself? It's not an ism, but the it's anarchism. An idea. Anarchism, yeah. yes, it's an ism in and of itself. No, I think there are uh, there are anarchists who are using Black Lives Matter just to try and take down the government, yeah, well, destroy statues, things like that. Again, anarchism is again one of these isms that came out of Western civilization. Yeah. The the antithesis of imperialism, this mm-hmm. this solid control of state governments over nations and people. Yeah. I mean, the idea that you know everyone can live together in a brotherhood of man. You don't yeah. need organized governments to run your life. Yeah, the antithesis to the imperial system, because the imperial system was about control and control, power. Yes, and so we're the antithesis of that. Um, also, I would say Antifa, which if you look at the history of Antifa, it's not a new thing. Antifa was developed in Weimar, Germany as an ultra-left-wing communist group. Communist anarchist group. Yeah, they, they fly the same flag as well as they did back in Weimar, Germany. Weimar, Germany, for those of you who don't know, was the government that ruled Germany before Nazi Germany. Um, but Antifa dates all the way back to then. So, in, in other words, Antifa is a communist group which means their ideological stance is communism, and they have utilized Black Lives Matter for their own purposes. Um, when when any time these Black Lives Matter protests and movements turn violent, you can almost always blame it on Antifa. Uh, I have no, and you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say that Antifa are peaceful protesters. They are not. No, and they, they have, have given. You can go on video. Yeah, we have them on video, and they and they have given such a bad name to Black Lives Matter protesters that anytime somebody wants to have a Black Lives Matter protest, everybody says no, no, because we know what that devolves into, mm-hmm. and so people are scared of the Black Lives Matter movement, which is a well, tragedy. It's up to the it's up to the Black Lives Matter movement to separate themselves mm-hmm. from the anarchist if they want to have a successful message. But that's the problem, is that mass movements don't have the organization to separate themselves, most oftentimes. Because mass movements don't actually have coordinated leaders. leaders. And Eric Hoffer in that book, The True Believer, he states that, that once a mass movement starts having leaders and it starts institutionalizing itself, it ceases to be a mass movement. Because it becomes the institution. Because it becomes an institution. 
and and there's a certain form of legitimacy given to it, but it also loses a lot of its power because it doesn't have the power of of that that enthusiasm of the mass movement, right? And once it's institutionalized, it loses that. So Black Lives Matter doesn't have, I don't think they have the ability to separate themselves because they have no leadership that has one clear voice. It's not like back in the 1960s when you had uh, Martin Luther King with his voice and Malcolm X as the other voice. The, the, the civil rights movement the civil rights movement as a movement kind of revolved around those two central figures, right? Mm-hmm. And they kind of kept that balance between institutional and movement. And so that's a good example of, of how they kind of kept that together and were able to differentiate themselves from others who would try to co-opt their movement. Black Lives Matter has no such leaders, um, major leaders. I, I still don't. And if you're listening to this and you can tell me who some of these leaders are, please tell me because I'm not aware of any one or two, even two people who are the big representatives of Black Lives Matter. Like, you know, they're the ones that are that are basically saying this is what we want. It's kind of just this mass movement that everybody joins into. But because of that, they can't they can't differentiate themselves from these ideologues who are trying to co-opt their movement toward for their own ends. It's very much what happened to the Protestant well, Protestant movement when Martin Luther first began his reformation. Then you have the Great Peasant Rebellion mm-hmm. within Germany, where people wanted to tear down the Catholic Church, tear down all of the icons, you know, remove the clergy, all those, co-opted Luther's Protestant movement into their own ideas. And that's where you, where you had this massive rebellion. And it took Martin Luther to step in and give leadership to this movement to lead it away from a full-on, well, a full-on rebellion and civil war across the German yeah. principalities. Well, they were trying to not only the Catholic Church, but to them, mm. right? The the princes and the government at the time were propped up by the church because they were ordained by God. All of those princes, when they were crowned, or uh, was a religious ceremony because you know they were ordained by God to rule over people. Mm. So they saw when the Protestant Reformation happened. You're absolutely correct, and they wanted to throw off uh, the chains of princes and dukes and kings and emperors. Uh, they used it at the Protestant Reformation as an excuse. And Luther's response was, he told the German princes, yeah, these people are outside God's law, go ahead and kill them. The yeah. princes unleashed their mercenaries on them, killed like, what, 100,000 peasants? Something, something like that. Something like that? Yeah, they just butchered them. And, uh, you know, that's that's a perfect example of, you're absolutely correct, Erhard, of a mass movement being co-opted by people who want to use it towards their own ends. Yeah. And so that's how the Protestant Reformation turned into a, a, uh, a revolution, if you will, uh, so, but this is why I think Western civilization, I think we have to move towards this view. In my opinion, this is what we have to move towards if Western civilization is going to be considered viable in the future. Because there are already a lot of schools that have completely removed Western civilization from their curriculum. It's all now world history. And I was kind of, uh, I'm very happy with our university because they have kept Western civilization as part of the curriculum mm-hmm. with our, in our department. No, and then, I mean, something that I've heard many people who do teach world history simply teach Western Civ. Yes. Which is, I think, kind of hysterical, this idea that, you know, you can just continue to to teach Western Civ under the guise of world history. No, yeah. those two things are distinctly unique from one yeah, another. Yeah, it's like Western Civ, but I'm going to give you a little bit more background on India, China, and Japan. Yeah, so it's just, <laughs> it, it, it's just kind of um, Western Civ reformed, you know, yeah. reformed Western Civ. Adding in the other people we didn't talk about in in the past, and 
I think one does inform the other. Western Civ doesn't form world history. World history doesn't form Western Civ. But I think simply to f- focus just on teaching world history from a Western Civ pop perspective is a bit faulty because there were other influences where the European civilizations were in fact influenced by Africa, India, China, which teaching Western Civ does discredit often because it simply doesn't mention it. Mm. Especially China. China has, when you talk about economics, we coined, we minted coins specifically in the 1870s to deal with China so they would accept our currency. The trade dollar Mm -hmm. was specifically designed to deal with China. Yes, because this this was a time period when China had the, I would say, military and economic monopoly to dictate terms to European powers. Um, if you look at the the tea trade, for instance, it predominantly came from China. Only a Brit would bring up the tea trade, but carry on. Well, here, 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 here you have it. This is also part of the reason why the Americans got involved within the, col- the colonization of, of, of China. Well, or... The period of unequal treaties, as the Chinese mm. people like to <laughs> like to refer to it. But this is where people would buy tea from China, and you would have to pay in actual silver and gold bullion for those goods. There was no alternative of offering up paper money because the Chinese simply wouldn't accept it. Or any other goods, for that matter. Or any other goods, because the Chinese didn't really need any of those goods. They had their own viable economic system providing for their needs. The Europeans wanted access to the valuable commodity of tea. So they had to find something else to replace the coinage, the money, the bullion with that they gave away to China. They started producing opium in India and started selling opium uh, to the Chinese. The so that's where you got the first and second opium wars, mm-hmm. where people tried to enforce a capitalistic market system based on paper money on the Chinese. They did not use that 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 system. Was it enforced? Yes. Are the Chinese today using the ancient imperial Chinese economic system? No, they're not. They're using the Western European economic system yep. and doing it considerably better than most of the old Western Western civilizations are doing it by beating them at their own game. They always. Well, it's do. easy to do that when you have uh, basically enslaved a good part of your population to uh, yeah. work in your factories. Which is ironic because that is exactly what the ancient Chinese emperors did. Right. Well, I mean, I think where China is right now and their economy is kind of where the Europeans were in the 1700s and early 1800s, where you had these factory towns. Now, the Europeans treated... Height of the Industrial Revolution. The height of the Industrial Revolution, where you had the laborers were not cared for, you had children working in these mills, and if a finger got cut off off in one of these machines, right? uh, Oh, well, you know, that's what happens. Or children working in coal mines, making, you know, pennies a day. That's where China is right now. The only difference is is that China, to me, does not seem to have a movement that is trying to... For a communist party, which is supposed to be a party of the laborers, you would think that they would treat their laborers better. The laborers suffer the most uh-huh. under a communist rule. You would rule. think, right? Mm-hmm. So um, that's, you know, they are in their... The only difference is, is that you don't have these benevolent societies popping up in China uh, you know, trying to to argue the plight of the workers, or if they do, they're very quickly silenced, squashed, 
So <laughs> yeah. that that that's a major difference between uh, those those systems. Really, in Europe, yeah, we we abused labor, but at the same time, you had people in the population that actually tried to to argue the case of laborers. And it took a while. That's why we had the labor revolution in the, at the turn of the century. Which was a mass movement. Which was a mass movement, exactly correct. Which has now become an institution. Through unions, yes. Yeah. Uh, we do We do need to discuss the power of the unions. That would be an interesting debate. And I have a friend who's a trucker who came in and actually recorded a segment that we need to use. Hmm. Um, recorded a segment to be part of the podcast so that y'all can listen to it. Uh, I won't say his name because he's still in the trucking industry. Mm-hmm. But uh, he gave he kind of gave a ten minute segment on the trucking industry, which I find very fascinating. And this, I guess, will be a preview of that. Mm-hmm. Basically, if the truckers were to stop driving their trucks for one day in this country, our economy would crash in a matter of hours. Uh, as far as the stock, they'd have to st- they'd have to shut down the stock market to keep it from collapsing. Mm-hmm. The but the way that truckers are treated, and the way that they are. Um, taken for granted, is a lot worse than you think. And and he kind of opened my eyes to the plight of the truckers in the trucking industry. It used to be better with the Teamsters because they had a lot more power then. Um, but the Teamsters, as he put it, God bless them. They just have a lot of negativity added to their name, he said. Well, but- Teamsters is a – jump in on this real quick. Teamsters is another example like the Black Lives Matter movement Mm-hmm. Something that starts off with a good bit's co-opted by something else, and that's exactly what happened to the Teamsters. Yes, lost their relevance because they become a uh, less about the labor mm-hmm. and more about the power. Power. Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, that's so. Uh, and we were going to try and keep this episode shorter, but Rusty, yeah. you got any thoughts about Western Civ or just what we've said so far? I, I. I think it's a huge disservice to the current generation and future generations to take Western Civ out of the curriculum. That's that does not do because that's that's that ideological battle we talk about. Well, I don't agree with the way this happened, so we just won't talk about this or study it. Mm-hmm. And that's what that comes. Kind of, the erasure of history. Uh. Yeah, and and whether we we talked about the the foundations of Western Civ, why it was invented, we did talk about that, and you know, yes, it was invented to further the the righteousness of the capitalist imperialist system. Well, to to legitimize it. To legitimize it, yes, but that's why I'm kind of think okay, instead of getting rid of it, if that's your problem with it, instead of totally removing it, why not rethink why we teach it. What value can we get from studying Western civilization? And that's the, that's the answer I came up with when I said, let's study the ideologies and the mass movements that came out of it, because these ideologies spread across the world. Whether they were spread through forced colonization and imperialism is, to me, uh, an invalid argument. It doesn't nullify the fact that these ideologies are what are now running the world, and, regardless of how they got there. And. I think the department is doing the right thing by yes. having both there because one doesn't form the other. Yes. Um, and, 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 and Western civilization needs to be, I think, taught in a way that people acknowledge the original reasons for its creation and explain to people that the significance lies in the effect that the 
contact that the Western civilizations had with the rest of the world and that inter the interchange, the give and take between these places actually had on the modern Exchange. world. Because many of the modern institutions we have today are built on those ideas of and ideologies of Western civilization. A question that I can ask you is cotton, mm -hmm. a very insignificant little plant that grew in the Middle East. Why is cotton important? Cotton is important today because you cannot find a product. Let's say everybody in here is wearing cotton. Everyone mm -hmm. here is wearing cotton. Yes. Carpentry, drapery, upholstery. Cotton is one of the products that fundamentally changed the human experience. Mm -hmm. So talking about the history of cotton, I would think is comparable to talking about the history of Western civilization, the impact that it had on a global scale. And I think that reframing of this idea of not glorifying Western civilization, but trying to teach the impact of Western civilization on, on, on the global well, on a global level, is is a step in the right direction. Coupling that with world history, where you look at the experience of you know, humanity, I think, definitely reframes the entire narrative that students can actually get worth and understanding from those two subjects. Yeah. And I wish, so in my undergraduate institution, it was a private liberal arts university, their rules on general, you know, they're all different on general education, and, you know, so they have different requirements for different students. For, for They have different requirements in different universities of what is included in general education. In our university, because it's a state university, the state mandates all students must take both halves of American history. Must. And that that's it as far as their exposure to history. In my undergraduate institution, it was you take both halves of American history and you must take one non American history, whether that was Western Civ or history of art, something like that. That's something I wish we would do in our university because the only people taking Western Civ or world history are history majors. Mm -hmm. And so you have every other major out there, if they're not history, which history majors are very small indeed at a, at a major university. Uh, there's not a lot of us out there. What that means is that you have nursing majors and all the other majors you can think of, people going out in the world that have no clue about Western mm. civilization or its importance or these major ideas of these ideologies, right? Yes. And so that's why when they – I always used to hate it because they'd go out there and they'd interview um, – who was it? Bill O'Reilly used to do it a lot on Fox News. He'd go down – first of all, he'd go down during spring break to these beaches as if students could, as if students could talk about you know, ideological standpoints – in their normal time, but now you're going to them when they're half-baked and half-drunk, or full-drunk, whichever one, wherever they are on the spectrum of being drunk, and you interview them and ask them questions about ideology, communism, and history, and it's like, you expect them to know this stuff? Because here's the thing, they're not taught it in college. They are not taught, unless they are a history major, the odds of them taking Western Civ or world history in college is zero. Big fat zero, unless they want to take it as part of, as part of an elective, mm. and that's a problem. Because and and we say in America that we want to compete on a global stage, or we want to participate, on or we want to be more tolerant of other cultures. That's not going to happen if we're not even taught about them. And so I I've always been for we need to have as part of our general ed requirements in the state of Texas that yes you take both halves of American history, but I like that idea of one non-American history. 
maybe learn about something outside of America for a change. Um, and if you wanted to make it standard Western Civ, fine, or world history, Western you, choose, you slash, choose one of those two. Yes. You choose one of those two, world history or Western Civ, whichever one you want to do. But they need to learn about it because that's why we get people that um, don't understand the history of these other cultures and major players on the global stage that we're interacting with right now, yes. in some cases possibly going to war with. Yes. And people don't understand where these other countries are coming from, nor why they think the way they do. And that's going to bre- that's going to develop an entire generation that doesn't know how to handle the outside world, mm-hmm. except for those who were educated, ergo the elites, who will handle it for them. The Republic. There it is. So that's my whole. That's my shtick. Any any closing thoughts? We're gonna we're gonna close this out here. No, I mean I think we've we've pretty much covered covered a good chunk of the information. I'd love Is to it? hear hear from our listeners if they have any thoughts, comments, concerns, complaints. Please send them in. What were you gonna say, Rusty? No, I'm just saying that that was a uh, big big topic. Yeah, it was a good question. Yeah. So it was a very good question. I'm glad that the listeners are starting to kind of send in their thoughts and opinions. Um, and even if we piss you off, we want to hear from you because, well, because I know if, why. If, if we pissed you off by something we said and you want to give us your two cents, that's fine because guess what? We're, we're grown-ups here. We can take criticism, but we, we also ha- reserve the right to debate you. We won't put you down or anything, but we, we want to have that conversation with you. We want to debate you. If you have questions that you've always wanted to answer, again, uh, you don't have to pay tuition here. Not yet. No, oh, okay. It's like Hulu will will hook you in and then make you pay. Uh, <laughs> you, you set a seven day free trial and then you just never never cancel. That's right. right? That's right. Uh, it's like what is but this? But you have to give them your information. Yeah. Right. To get the seven day trial get, and then it automatically. The that's right. <laughs> yep. So now that will finish it up. Um, we're going to do some more of these topical episodes. I think um, we have one more that we need to pre-record. Uh, for the two Sundays that we're going to miss. Yeah. So, but this was a good topic for this one. So, this Western Civ topic. So, and I guess that will do for this week, gentlemen. And we will see you all next week. There we go. Cheers. 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 <laughs>